0: I'm David Cross, and you may know me for my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, an investment advisory practice. I've been an advisor for nearly 30 years, and one of the questions I get asked most frequently is, do I have enough money relative to other people my age? And while that's an interesting question, it's also the wrong question. The right question is, is, do you have enough money to sustain your lifestyle for the rest of your life? This is a question you should know the answer to. This is what we do. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our Big Proud American Eagle logo. It is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. Christine, Laura, what
1: you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations.
0: I rise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump i'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in moscow and that the russians taped it and have leverage over him welcome back to information operation we're here with nate kane who i've known for some years as a fighter in the election integrity and freedom movement welcome to the show nate
1: hey thanks for having me on
0: so you are running for west virginia 2 uh in the gop primary and uh I want people to know why they should vote for you. So uh, go ahead. Give us the overview.
1: Sure. So um, for those that may not know uh, my background, uh, five years ago, maybe was made a little bit over five years ago. I was a, an FBI whistleblower,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, really the first one actually to come out um, using the, uh, the Intelligence Community Whistleblower Protection Act. And I blew the whistle on Uranium One, uh, Hillary Clinton and her involvement with that and uh, money laundering. And primarily the FBI's cover up of all of that. And so uh, it was a a very scary experience, but it was one that I knew, you know, I had um, sworn an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And there was clearly a domestic enemy here. And uh, so I was uh, compelled, if you will, to to do that. Um, ended up uh, being raided by the FBI about four months after I finished uh, going through the process, took about a year and I'll I'll spare the details because it's a long story, but anyone that needs to get into the details of that, you're more than happy to, um, go onto my, my, um, website uh, for my campaign. I've done probably over a hundred hours of interviews that I put up on there on the media section. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, after that, you know, I kind of passed the uh, the sniff test with the with the Trump administration, I guess. So so when the 2020 um, uh, election, um, you know, happened and uh, you had the debacle you know, afterwards, it was uh, uh, I think it was, you know, I, I got a phone call from my lawyer who was my whistleblowing attorney. And he said, hey, um, just so you know, you're going to get a call from the White House and they're going to ask you to come down uh, to help out with uh, election integrity stuff. And I, I thought it was just going to be like a one-time meeting.
0: Mm-hmm. I get
1: down there, uh, met at uh, Steve Bannon's office, and uh, was supposed to meet with uh, Peter Navarro, but he was unable to make the meeting because it was it was to formulate a team to help um, provide information to to him mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and to the White House staff. And so... Uh, We started working on election integrity stuff, but I got told, "Oh, hey, um, do you have your bags? Because uh, we're going to a hotel." So two and a half months later, you know, I'm (laughs) basically, you know, into this thing up to my eyeballs, uh, going through information, and uh, it was uh, it was quite uh, quite an experience. Um, Unfortunately, didn't work out the way that we'd hoped. Uh, There were, I think, 57 court cases that were brought, and out of those 57, not a single court allowed for a evidentiary hearing and of course we had a lot of evidence that we had brought forward that was solid you know solid uh, evidence of violations of records management uh you know uh, which fell under the 1968 uh, civil rights act where they were destroying records that were needed and necessary in order to conduct a proper audit and there were also um, the system certifications Uh, you know, which were required for these systems to be used in elections, of course, you know, they did not meet the standards. And so we tried to bring these things forward and um, and pretty much it it got ignored. Uh, I don't think a judge in the land wanted to, you know, be uh, responsible for overturning, you know, uh, the election. And I think that's, you know, all
0: of that stuff's coming back out now in (laughs) much greater detail. And that's right. We're going to round two here. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in the courts for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I mean, clearly, I think it was like Pennsylvania. Um, you know, they had a case that went before their Supreme Court there that mm-hmm. that it it was determined that what the governor had done up there was completely illegal mm-hmm. and unconstitutional. And um, how, you know, they basically he changed the rules, which the only people that can make those decisions is the legislature, not yeah. the executive branch. But, you know, they didn't go back and reverse anything or change anything because. You yeah. Know, that, that would have taken, that would have taken courage, but you know, <laughs> of
0: course. Well, uh, we'll so, see how much courage we're going to have for sure. Cause it's, you know, Florida's, we've got them caught in Florida, Georgia, uh, as you know, yeah. you've been Arizona. Um, it, it's fascinating all the stuff that's coming out. So are you still involved in that movement or are you focused on um, campaign now?
1: Well, so I am in a sort of, uh, slightly different way. Um, as you know, when I was doing that work down there, I, mm-hmm. I ended up starting my own company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I did. I continued to do some election integrity work afterwards. Um, I, I was hired by Judge Gableman up in Wisconsin to assist mm-hmm. him up there. Um, my role up there though was more of like a technical advisor to him as he's interviewing, you know, these different people as he was yeah. looking into election integrity. He needed somebody on the scene that, you know, understood this stuff and understood the technology behind it to kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, see who was blowing smoke, see who was legit. So I was up there helping him with that. Um, I continued to do a little bit of extra stuff. And then um, one of the guys that I had worked with on uh, election integrity, uh, he asked me, uh, I got a, I got a message from him. This was, you know, some months ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was involved in a case where he was, uh, looking into something uh, that was related to a company called uh, uh, Conic mm-hmm. and uh, they were based out of Michigan. And so um, I got pulled into that. And so my company actually was hired by Los Angeles district attorney's office, uh, bureau of investigation to be on scene for the search warrant and arrest warrant of Eugene U. And uh, we were there. Uh, we did the cyber forensic capture Um, we collected, uh, you know, data on scene. And then afterwards, um, we were contacted by the investigating officer and asked to, um, to utilize our skills uh, to do a capture uh, remotely, you know, through uh, Mm -hmm. these, they had, they had a, a basically a a confidential informant that um, provided all of the credentials to, you know, to their, their connections in the cloud. And so, so I put the, I assembled a team of of cyber protection guys that you know I I worked with and that I knew and mm-hmm. uh, and these are guys that are trained in some of the best techniques and you know including um, one of them is uh, you know he was a a FBI cyber uh, security forensics specialist and another mm-hmm. guy a DEA so they they understood not just how to do the work but also how to do it in a way that it could be used in court. So we did all of our work. Um, we provided all the data, and then I got stiffed on payment by uh, LA right. County uh, to the tune of about eighty-seven, you know, eighty-eight thousand so- dollars. So
0: I've always wondered about that whole situation because LA is obviously, you know, commie central, and yep. so then you have Conic, which obviously was CCP, and and, yes. and, and so it's in. You know, we've been in heavily involved in reporting on that in Georgia, but so the. Was it just a situation that maybe some of the underlings were trying to do the right thing and the leadership just. Yes, them that is, is that, that's you know,
1: exactly what happened. so this yeah. case was not brought by Gascone; It was brought yeah. by a grand jury. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, the uh, DA can't deny, you know, if a grand jury brings a case, they bring the case, they have mm-hmm. to, you know, take it. Mm-hmm. And so Eric Neff, who is the deputy or assistant um da he was a you know he was a decent guy and he was the one that pressed forward with things of course you know we got all of our data we provided it and then the first thing that i knew there was a problem was when they dropped the charges against eugene Yu. yeah um and actually the first thing they did was they moved the date so he was supposed to be arraigned prior to the election and they moved the date till after the election and i thought well okay that's reasonable you don't want to interfere with you know an election and mm-hmm. you know and, and cause um you know a big scandal or something so but then after the election then they drop the charges and um and they didn't drop it with malice so they could still bring the charge but the way they do you know what they do and what they're doing there is they essentially say we're still gonna hold this so that we can you know bring charges at a later date but the reality is they're just gonna run out the clock with you know reference to the statute of limitations and so yeah. Uh, so they, they let him go. Um, of course, uh, he, you know, he ended up leaving and going to Malaysia, I believe. And so he's not in the United States. So good luck ever getting him back here.
0: uh, Yeah, because I don't,
1: I don't know that we have an extradition treaty with Malaysia. Um, but, uh, the fact is, is that we had evidence. We found solid evidence of people's PII data. And these Mm -hmm. are poll workers, election judges um, you know, their personal private information found on servers in China. We mm-hmm. found China developing the software uh, and they had a Chinese contractor doing all of the software development for their system, which is illegal under 13 uh, uh, CFR chapter seven, which you know, basically says you cannot have any um, uh, any supply chain. Uh, that is done by foreign adversaries on systems that are used for national critical infrastructure. And of course, election systems were deemed national critical infrastructure by, um, by Jay Johnson, you Mm -hmm. know, back during the Obama administration. And I think that was actually the the right decision. Yeah. Um, But, but it basically, you know, these guys were violating the law there. Uh, The issue for LA counties, it was a contract dispute because their contract stated that the PII had to be maintained in the U S and that uh, no work could be done by, you know, a foreign uh, entity, you know, for, you know, for the development of their software, they were you know, saying that the software had been developed in the U S when it clearly was being, uh, if not originally developed, it was being maintained by a contractor, you know, that all the software upgrades and things like that were being done by these Chinese guys. And, um, and when we looked into it, we found enough, Enough information there that it looked, you know, it looked uh, suspiciously like a Chinese intelligence operation because the company in question actually had ties to the CCP and uh, which we found, you know, when we were looking into things. So eventually I turned over my information to um, DCSA, which is the Defense Counterintelligence Agency or Counterintelligence Security Agency. Uh, As a cleared contractor, I I had no no choice, but, you know, I'm obligated to report these things. Uh, they had their analysts look at it and they determined that there was enough there there to ask the FBI to investigate. And of course, you know, I don't expect the FBI to do anything. Right. Uh, you know, I don't have a very, very high opinion of them. So for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that's where we are with that. And, you know, there's, I can't really get into it any more than that because there's some ongoing litigation related to it, but um, I'm not really, too involved in that. I've got lawyers that are working on that and my business partner who's working on that because I'm mainly focused on campaigning. And yeah. so, uh, so I'm running for, uh, for office in uh, West Virginia. This is for the U S house of representatives and you know, how that came about was, you know, after my whistleblowing and getting raided by the FBI and having them you know try to destroy me, uh, I decided, you know, I'd rather live somewhere where, uh, you know, I can, um, You know, conceal carry and have freedom Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. not worry about, you know, somebody trying to kill me or poison me or things like that. Sure. And we up and moved because I got doxxed and all of that. And um, we went to uh, moved out here to West Virginia uh, to what I affectionately call the free state of West Virginia.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, I love it here. And we've been here for three years now. And uh, it has just been a wonderful experience living here. And uh, so, yeah, so when I came down there to D.C. to help out with the election stuff, um, I had already moved to West Virginia at that time. Interesting. But but, so we've been here for I had no intention or desire really to go into politics. Um, You know, in fact, the the last place that I wanted to be was in Washington, D.C., you know, and um, but. Uh, in November of this last year, you know, I was with my family and we were just praying. I was pretty disappointed over the election results. I felt like yeah. a lot of the same things that went on in 2020 happened again, and um, and so especially like Arizona, that was just so obvious. And um, so I ended up just was praying with my family. And I said, you know, Lord, I pray that you'd raise up righteous men and women to run for office. Mm-hmm. And I heard that still small voice in my head say, "Well, what about you?
0: Send like, me, oh, yeah." No.
1: And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, hold on. <laughs> it can't, you know, I've had that
0: voice you know, too. Honest, you know?
1: <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, and I remember, uh, you know, I, I thought for a while there, you know, I, I thought about it and I'm like, you know, I don't even see a, a route. I couldn't run for state, you know, for state office because I'm a working contractor. So I own my own company, but I'm basically, I'm required to be there on the job, you know, for eight hours a day. And so for me, Taking time off, we have a part-time legislature. That was not really an option for me. So, mm-hmm. so you had the the Senate and you had the you know and U.S. Uh, House of Representatives. But the Senate in West Virginia, they have a requirement for five years. Uh, you have to live here, uh, residency. Mm-hmm. So the only option really was Congress. And Alex Mooney had just won re-election by, you know, by like 70 something percent. Um, you know, had a really you know good turnout, and and they had also. Um, you know, he's got a conservative voting record and I wasn't going to try to go up against that. And so I just made a deal with God. I said, Lord, I said, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to create a path and I don't see one. I said, but if you create a path, then I'll run. And, uh, and I thought I you know, was smart and I thought I had bought surprise, myself
0: surprise. <laughs> 58
1: years and God has a sense of humor.
0: Uh-huh. Two days
1: later, literally I'm on my computer typing into Google, um, you know, Alex Mooney's name, cause I needed to pull up something because actually this conic stuff was something that I felt like his office needed to know about, you know, as a matter of national security. And so I was typing in his, you know, uh, his name and it dropped down, you know, the little drop down pops up and it says two seconds ago, Alex Mooney announces he's running for the Senate against Joe Manchin in 2024. And so my heart just sank and I was like, no, (laughs) but uh, it is, you know, I started off this thing really is more of like an act of obedience and mm-hmm. not really something that I was wanting to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has turned into something that I'm excited about. And where that has come about is as I've gone out and started talking to people and meeting people from all over the Northern half of the state, I've just met some of the most amazing, wonderful people, you know, in West Virginia. And I, I mean, I knew that West Virginia was a good place to live. Like when mm-hmm. we moved here, we moved here primarily because, the people here hold the same values that we hold, you know, my, my family, my wife and I were both Mm -hmm. Christians. We both, you know, believe in, um, you know, liberty and freedom. And, you know, we don't particularly like the government telling us what to do. And, and that pretty much sums up all of West Virginia for the most part. And so when we came out here, um, we haven't really left, you know, the Eastern panhandle because, you know, why would I, I mean, I got everything I want right here. I mean, I have literally, I have the life, that, that I have been, you know, absolutely found total contentment. And I've got, you know, a beautiful home. I work from home. I have, uh, you know, I do from six to two and last summer at two o'clock, I'd get off of work and I would go get on my boat on the Potomac and would just enjoy life. And it was great. I mean, it was like we rebuilt everything that we lost in Maryland and it's been just a wonderful thing. But as we've been going around and talking to people, Um, you know, we've been hearing about a lot of issues that, you know, matter to the people. And so you asked at the very beginning of the show, why should people vote for me? Well, I'll tell you why, because unlike a typical politician, when people come to them and they say, Hey, you know, what can you do to help this? They go, well, I'll see what I can do when I get into office. Or, you know, they say, you know, maybe it's a a state issue and it's not really a, you know, an issue for the federal government to deal with. They might say, well, you know, you need to talk to your, your, um, your legislator, your, your uh, delegate, because that's not really a, a federal issue. Well, I had an issue that came up and a lot of people was, uh, we bringing it up everywhere we went. And this was this issue of parents' rights. Now it wasn't on my, it wasn't really like on my, um, on the forefront of my mind at first because my kids are grown. So I'm not yeah. my kids not in the schools. I'm not really thinking about those issues so much. Um, although, you know, this issue was coming up because one of the things that I do when I go out is I don't just talk, but I ask people, can you tell me what's going on in your lives and the things that matter to you, the things that you're concerned about and that keep you up at night? And this issue of parents' rights on various different issues, but all relating to parents' rights uh, kept coming up. For some, it was the issue that we're one of five states that does not have a religious exemption for vaccines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, West Virginia is a very religious state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so people don't want, you know, to be forced to, you know, give their child a vaccine just so they can go to school. Um, you know, that has been, you know, developed with fetal cells. And then there's the whole issue of um, you've got people who are concerned about these sexually explicit books yeah. that are in, you know, in all of our public school libraries. And I had heard about that, and I, I you know, absolutely was something that, you know, I was concerned with. But I had no idea until I saw
0: those books. Yeah. They're pretty shocking. Yeah.
1: yeah. I was at a meeting and somebody basically, you know, showed uh, one of those books to me and I was just like, it, it triggered something in me and I, I couldn't yeah. sit by and ignore yeah. it. anymore. I mean, this stuff is just basically pornography. They're very you know? graphic. Yeah, it is very graphic and has Anal no sex,
0: oral sex. All of it. Yep, yeah.
1: It has no, no purpose other than to groom, you know, children Yeah, uh, you know, into situations they shouldn't be thinking about or even, you know, talking about. Yeah. Then the last thing, uh, well, and a couple of other issues came up. One was um, uh, the transgender bathroom. You know, everybody saw what happened down in Loudoun County when, um, you know, the biologically male, you know, uh, child was in the, you know, the female, able to use the female bathroom and he raped a girl twice. And then, um, yep. Then they sent him another school and he did it again. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't want that happening here in West Virginia. Um, And then you had the issue of, uh, the school's being able to take parent or take a child out of classroom and give them counseling. And then, you know, the child's expressing, you know, issues that they're concerned about with their gender or whatever, and the school's not required to notify the parents. So that's another issue that's in there, uh, you know, protecting uh, school choice and the parents right to be able to choose what institution that they, you know, their child gets uh, educated in. Um, you know, there's a lot of homeschoolers here, a lot of uh, charter school, um, you know, Parents here, and you know, and that having that right to be able to make that decision is important to every parent. And this is a natural right. I mean, you know, it doesn't take you don't have to be a a, a, uh, a legal scholar to figure out that what a parent how a parent raises their child is one of the most fundamental rights that is determined by nature, you yes. know, or so some would people would say by God. These are God given inalienable rights. And honestly, we shouldn't even have to have a bill of rights. But the fact is is there's been so much usurpation of the parental role by the schools that we have to define these. And so that's, uh, so I, I got together with my volunteers and uh, one of the guys who had volunteered had already written like four of these uh, you know, four or five of these into a uh, the beginning of a parent's bill of rights. And it Mm -hmm. was really good. And he shared it with me and said, I could use it and I, I loved it. And I said, this is awesome. And so, I I added in there around
0: the country actually.
1: Yeah. So I added in there a section on, uh, the school books and also sexually explicit behavior. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, the twerking in front of kids and Mm -hmm. both in public places like parades. I don't know if you saw that video of the grown man, you know, twerking his butt in his underwear in front of a bunch of children at a parade, but it was just disgusting. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Also the, you know, the, the stuff going on in public libraries as well as these, um, Uh, the books. And then as well as uh, I also added a section on there related to the transgender bathroom issue. And then um, we took a piece out of the, there was a bill that they tried to pass last year in the state legislature that was a Parents Bill of Rights. It was definitely not as inclusive as the one that we had, but there were some good things in there. And one of the things that was really good in that one was there was a section on, you know, what can the parent do if they have those rights violated. And so it provides some provision for them to be able to sue and get recourse and, um, and damages. And so we added that piece into our bill that the legislature had uh, that several had written in in it before. Then I took it to my, my attorney for my campaign who happens to be a constitutional attorney Mm
0: -hmm. and has
1: successfully fought several cases in federal court. Uh, And some of those against schools, you know, for um, introducing uh, forcing CRT and things like that. And he basically went through it, looked at it, you know, just kind of made a little bit of language changes to make sure that this would stand up in court. And uh, and then we put it out with a uh, press release and uh, and it got a lot of attention. And uh, and then we went down uh, last Monday, not this last one, but the one before we went down to Charleston, we you know, had some signs printed. Uh, we had some tables laid out with copies of the legislation, the proposed legislation, and we had um, tables with the books. and And it happened to be a great time, you know, because they had an interim session going on, so all the legislators were down there. Yeah, we ended up getting 21 signatures uh, saying that they would support, and probably twice that amount of people who took the bill and said that they would likely support it, but they they wanted to read it first. Which, you know, I can I can understand that and appreciate it. Um, but in the end, um, Scott Heckert, who is uh, one of the my volunteers, uh, uh, brought it to his to his uh, his legislator, his delegate, uh, who's Scott Heckert. And Scott Heckert said he would he would support and sponsor the bill, and allowed his uh, bill writer to start writing it into bill formatting for the legislation. And he said that he's already got enough votes in the ha- house to get it passed.
0: Wow, fantastic! So,
1: so we're, we're working on the Senate, too. And and I had um, out of those 21 signatures, about 10 of those were senators. And four yeah, of those. Send senators, me a
0: copy of that because we want to. I will. I here. will.
1: Yeah. And, and about four of those senators actually were, um, uh, they had told me, they said, hey, if you need a lead sponsor on this bill, you know, I'm more than happy to do it. And so it, it's a very popular bill. Um, I think it it's something that Makes sense, mm-hmm. uh, especially in an election year. This is a, a great time to try to get something like this passed because the this is something comes. that yeah. this is the, something the people want. And they want it, you know. They want it yesterday, and uh, so congratulations. Yeah. So, so for me, you know, I look at it like this. Um, you know, people want to know what I'm, you know, what I'm willing to do and in, in the amount of work that I'm willing to put in, you know, to to you know, be concerned with the things that matter to them. I'm already proving to them that I'm willing to, you know, to go to bat for them. This is, I'm not running for state office. I'm running for federal, but Mm -hmm. I can still use that bully pulpit of, you know, Congress uh, when I get in there to be able to fight for things that they want with the state legislature. And uh, you know, and then even before I'm in, I can use my platform because I'm getting a lot of media attention and things like that. And, you know, why not use it to do some good, you know um, you know, if, if I don't win, at least I got something done, you know, with uh, all the money and, and time and effort that was put into this. So I think it's uh, good things that, you know, that I think uh, it, it proves to the people that I've earned their vote, not just, you know, I'm not buying their vote. I don't have an expectation of their vote, you know, because of my family name or because of, mm-hmm. you know, my connections, you know, I am proving to them uh, that I'm willing to fight for them. And if anything, uh, you know, my whistleblowing background, and the fact that I gave up the highest paid job I ever had in my life uh, to do the right thing, I think shows that I have integrity, you know, that, uh, sure. and that I will, you know, expose the truth no matter what the consequences are to me personally. You know, so how can
0: people find out about your campaign? What's the best so, way?
1: So the best way is um, uh, Nate Kane for WV.com is the website for my campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nate Kane for WV is also my handle on pretty much all social media. And that includes True Social, of course, uh, Gab, Getter, and uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, um, and even Minds. So I have a, an account on there as well. And I post on everything. So depending on what your particular flavor or, or desires, you can go and follow me on your your favorite social media and you can see what I'm posting and talking about. Um, on my campaign site, and that's uh, N-A-T-E-C-A-I-N, the number four, wv.com. Uh, there's also a link on there for all of the media interviews that I do. I post them up on there and right. uh, and then my platforms up on there where people can see what I believe in and what I stand for. Um, there's two major pledges that I've, I've stood by uh, that are kind of beyond, you know, just, you know, your, your platform issues. Um, one is I've signed a pledge uh, to term limit myself after yeah. three terms uh, I I will not you know serve in Congress or serve as I should say in the House of Representatives. We'll see what happens after that. But I think three terms is enough. And if you can't get something done in three terms, and it's time to go home. And if you can get stuff you know done, uh, then maybe it's time to to move to something else. Yeah. Um. So you know, but the other thing that I've made a pledge towards is, and I think this is very unique. I've not seen anybody else do this. So, um. But I made a promise that I will not meet with a lobbyist uh, unless they agree to be recorded and have that recording made public immediately after our yep. meeting. I don't think there's anything wrong with meeting with people and talking to them and making deals. I think that's part of politics. And, you know, and you should be looking after the interests of your people and your your constituents. And so if a lobbyist comes to me and it's a let's say it's a social issue, um, you know, the gun lobby or or, you know, um, uh, you know, write to life or something like that. Of course, I'm going to meet with them. Um, if it's uh, something that is a business, you know, lobby or an industry, and it's you know the energy industry, of course, I'm going to meet with them. That's a huge part of West Virginia's jobs. Um, but if there's, you know, if what they have to say to me is not something that can be said public, then I don't want it said to me. And mm-hmm. so what I am, um, you know, what I am basically going to do as a matter of principle and as a matter of hoping to be able to be a leader in in, you know, and, and hopefully get some other congressmen and women on board is by doing this, you know, in this day and age, everything can be recorded and put online immediately. Yeah. Uh, to me, that, that shows true, true transparency. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that like, you know, there's certain things that do need to be confidential, like whistleblowers, for example. And I uh, sure. you know, I know all about that as well. Uh, you know, if you have a, a, you know, a meeting with a whistleblower, or if it's just a private citizen's concern to you that I don't think that necessarily needs to be public, but anytime that money's involved, it absolutely needs to be public. And in fact, Congress felt so much about that, that they actually created, you know, the freedom of information act, but they ensured that it didn't apply to them. So I'm going to basically be my own FOIA, you know, for people and allow them to see everything that goes on on how the sausage is made. And, um, you know, and then let the cards fall where they may. And so so when is the primary, the primary is May 14th. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's going to be the most critical day for West Virginia, because we are a red state. Uh, We're a three to one right now. There's not even a Democrat that's declared. I don't believe, uh, for the house of representatives. Um, you know, so if people don't show up at the primary, they're going to get what they get and they ain't going to have any say in it. Yeah. West Virginia, we have an open primary. So people who are independent, uh, they can ask for a Republican ballot and they can vote in the primary. And, um, you know, and then, of course, Republicans, you know, uh, I would ask that all of them, you know, come out and vote for me in the primary. Um, the the last thing that people can do to help us is, you know, financially. Sure. Uh, there is a donor button on our webpage. Uh, people can go in there. They can click on that and they can donate. And I'll say this much. Um, I have not held a single fundraising event yet. Uh, I, I hope to, but I've just been too busy getting out there and actually meeting the people.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: we've still raised about thirty thousand dollars in the in the the last quarter, um, you know. And those have all been from you know s- you know from individual donor you know, roots. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, none of it has been from you know any major corporations or no PACs or anything like that. And uh, in a way, that's good because it means that when I go in there, I am not going to be beholden to anyone but the voters, and that is my my hope. And there's people that have donated to to our campaign from California, from New York,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, from places where they don't have a good candidate that they can donate to. And so they recognize that, you know, as a as a representative of the House of you know, Representatives, even though my main uh, constituency is West Virginia, the reality is that you're one vote out of four hundred and thirty five. And it's good. It's important to have people, uh, even if they're not in your state. Uh, that you support to get into office that are going to support and, um, you know, and ensure that the, our constitutional rights are protected. And the, the three big issues in my campaign that I'm running on are restoring our constitutional rights uh, and, re- and constitutional governance, um, making sure to strengthen our national security, which is in woeful condition right now The our military with all this woke indoctrination, yes.
0: uh, you know, all and of the our, of ours as well.
1: Yep, and and, uh, and and the border is a national security issue. We've got 200 Americans a day that are dying due to fentanyl overdose, uh, the leading cause of death right now between uh, 18 and 45. Um, I have some very strong opinions on what needs to happen and related to that, you know, related mm-hmm. to that, including, um, you know, uh, quite honestly, uh, Congress recognizing that the cartel-owned territory is no longer Mexico; it's essentially a rogue state. And we yeah. need to declare war on it. Um, and, and when I say we, meaning the Congress, it's not a, decla- a declaration. that should you'll, be you'll
0: get a lot of support for that view. And, uh, and I, think, like I think
1: I think that would allow for us to take the Army Corps of Engineers uh, down there to finish the wall uh, mm-hmm. and then, you know, and then start operations against the cartels to take them out permanently. So those are, those are issues that I think are extremely important. China uh, plays a, you know, a big role right now in a lot of our national con- uh, security concerns, whether it's the islands that they're building in international waterways to try to stop people from being able to um, you know, have uh, – we cannot allow for that because that basically you – know, they could do that anywhere and, and stop trade. Uh, or whether it's the fact that it's Chinese companies that are supplying all of the precursor chemicals for fentanyl to the cartels directly. Um, You know, there's a lot of things going on that we need to address uh, nationally as a a matter of national security. But the third thing is uh, prosperity for West Virginia. And West Virginia has been a taker state for a very long time, uh, meaning they take more money from the federal government than they put into it. Uh, This has been a you know, this is like the old way of thinking, you know, under Rockefeller, you know, the mm-hmm. Democrat way of thinking that, you know, we should you know get as much welfare from the federal government as possible. The problem with that is that with all that federal money comes uh, federal regulations and requirements and they're being able to tell us how to live our lives and how to run our state. Um, we don't need them. The yeah. fact is uh, West Virginia has some of the largest amounts of coal, oil and gas. We have a, a massive amounts of hardwoods you know, above land. Um, we've got incredible resources in the state. And if we just tapped into them and we basically became uh, economically independent, uh, we could chart our own future and and determine our own destiny as a state. And, uh, but what that's going to mean, it's going to mean a a considerable investment in our own state, uh, into our own infrastructure. And so this is why it's important, even though I'm running for federal office, that I develop a good relationship with our, state legislature, because Mm -hmm. there are things that I see that need to happen, like, you know, the development of our own sovereign state trust bank, um, you know, the development of our own uh, gold and silver, you know, uh, uh, minted currency uh, that we are afforded under the Constitution as a state to be able to do to combat and go against, you know, uh, central bank digital currency and things like that. So there's a lot of ideas that I have that, you know, they may work, they may not work, but one thing I can guarantee you is I'm constantly thinking outside of the box on a lot of these issues and looking for solutions and, and willing to work, um, you know, both, you know, in the, in the House uh, in, in uh, Washington, D.C., but also be back here lobbying our own legislators and helping them to, you know, if there's some issue that's going on that's blocking West Virginian prosperity at the federal level, I want to know so I can help to alleviate that burden. And so those are the things that I'm looking for, and I hope that people will come out and support me. We're we are getting a lot of really great support at the grassroots level.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I wish
1: I could say the same for the the uh, uh, West Virginia GOP, you know, a, as a whole, uh, but you know they kind of have their chosen, uh, you know, uh, anointed one, and uh, and I'm not he. <laughs> but uh, you're yeah, we'll seeing that in
0: the country as well. I mean, it's that the party has real issues at the establishment leadership level. And I, I, I had about five shows there. I want to come back to you on, on your comments. So All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll do this again. Um, and, Sounds but good. I appreciate your time. And uh, seriously, we'll, down the road, we'll, we'll have you back. Awesome. Thank you. Back God tonight. bless. Take care.